here right, Chicago! Woo! Three titles in six years. Yes, it is worth cheering for. Welcome to Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, the assistant editor and, you know, the usual podcast host for this here show. And I've got two of my usual line mates with me here on this Wednesday evening. First off, it is the analytics darling of Second City Hockey. It is Shepard Price. Hello. Hello. All right. Good entrance. Good. There we go. It's a good, it's a good start. I don't, have anyth- I don't have anything this week. No, I, I was waiting. You usually do. I know. I'm just. It's. It's. I'm running on. I'm running out of fumes here. You and me both. The other guy with us this evening, our usual pun master and breaking news guy, who again responsible for like ninety percent of the things you read at Second City Hockey. It seems it is Brandon Kane. Hey, hey, that's me. That it's is you. May twentieth. I don't have like a joke or anything, but a month ago that would have been four twenty. So there's that. Congratulations. Also Hitler's birthday. That's my dad's birthday too. <laughs> what the fuck? What? <laughs> well, good night, everybody. <laughs> I think that's the podcast. How do? How is that the person you remember? Like my birthday, I remember like it's like Tony Hawk and Yogi Berra. How is I that was, the birthday you remember? I was listening to a podcast about conspiracy theories about Adolf Hitler recently. Okay. Well. Yeah. It's also Carmen Electra's birthday. So, speaking of Carmen Electra, <laughs> there yes. you go, there you go, Brandon. What a, what a, what a job, way to, Brandon. Way to bring that up. Speaking of Carmen Electra, uh, the last answer. Saving this podcast. There yeah, you go. Thank you. <laughs> but the the last dance podcast, or last dance podcast. Yeah, this is basically what it is. That we're the last dance podcast. But uh, <laughs> the last dance documentary ended Sunday night on ESPN, and I. I would happily watch all 10 episodes again if they let me because I don't know what I'm – it was nice to have something sports-related to plan the last five Sundays around. And now those are gone, and while I might watch some of the ones they have coming up, I'm nowhere near as interested in them as I was in the 90s Bulls ones. So, I don't know, Shepard, Brandon, just what, what were your thoughts from the, the whole thing now that we're all done? Shepard, you watched the last two, right? Yeah. Okay, so just – and Shepard, you first, just thoughts on the whole thing? I think they uh, – so I think I saw it described on uh, NBA Reddit as Mike McVeigh's very pro-Michael Jordan propaganda, which I yeah. agree with. It is it, – he, he is portrayed as an asshole in, like, two episodes, but, like, it's very pro-Jordan. Um, it They paint Tony Kukoc as not as important to the last three as he was. Like, he was – like he was probably more important to those three than Rodman, even. Ooh, um, wow. Rodman. Rodman was a big personality, but like the better player, in my opinion, was Kukoc. Okay, all right. Well, you can say Kukoc was better than Rodman, but ignoring Dennis Rodman's contributions, to those teams feels. I'm not. Wrong. I, don't, I don't. I'm not. I'm not saying to ignore him because he was this massive pop culture phenomenon, and he he's probably the best rebounder, pure rebounder of all time in NBA NBA history. But like leaving out. Who coaches like leaving Patrick Sharp out of any NHL, any any Blackhawks documentary? Well, fine. Well, yeah, it's fine. But man, like you, they got Dennis Robin because they didn't have Horace Grant anymore, right? And Dennis Robin did that job. Well, well, yeah, Dennis Robin didn't do that job because Dennis Robin couldn't score like Horace Grant. 
that's well, all right, and that's why they had Tony Kukoc and Steve Kerr on the team. Different roles. Exactly. He did. He got firmly in the head of Carl Malone for two playoff series, and that was fine with me. The, I'm not saying the worm is a bad player. I'm saying that like Kukoc is was excellent. I I and, watched, and, it, and it felt like he got left out. I watched Game Five. I think the game five of the 98 finals and it's the one where Carl Malone scored like 40 points and single-handedly kept the jazz from, or kept the bulls from winning at home the last time around. And Kukoc scored like 30 in that game. I think he was the bulls leading scorer. I, he might've even outscored Jordan because Jordan was off. Pippen went like two of 13 that game. I'm, I'm gonna have to look this up, Brandon. What about you? What are your thoughts on the the whole the whole shebang? I liked it, and I always keep going back to what you said the first night of the documentary, where it's like that nice crossover of people who remember those days, and like it was actually like a fond part of their 20s or 30s, whatever, mm-hmm. and them seeing the newer generation be like, "Oh shit!" Like this team was like that good, where they could just like do whatever they wanted. Be like, oh, we're down twelve. All right, just give us a minute. We'll we'll be we'll be in the lead soon. Yeah, it it was like it kind of reminds me again of like the the early to mid twenty tens Hawks of where if they were losing in a game or losing in a series, you're just like just just wait. Like they're you know, Taze is gonna Taze, Kane is gonna Kane, and everything's gonna be okay. In the nineties, Jordan's gonna Jordan, and everything will be okay. Because usually that's what happened. But, yeah, uh, going back to the the thing that we were talking about, I don't know if we were talking about this last week or not, but we're going to talk about it now. Because th- when they got to the end, there was so much talk about whether or not they could have won a seventh title. And obviously Jordan's convinced that they could have. Of course Jordan's going to be convinced. He's going to be convinced they could have won ten titles because that's who Michael Jordan was and still is, is, which is one of the things I took away from this documentary. Jordan's still pissed off or just still has that competitive streak within him and he will have that competitive streak until he is dead in the ground. But it kind of is that, is that why his team sucks? Is that he wants to be able to beat every single one of his players <laughs> in one on one? I don't. I don't know. I feel like, like I don't know he's what fifty five or fifty seven now. It wouldn't surprise me if he could suit up and give like ten minutes off the bench still to this day. Like that's he's just he was he was not of this world. And I, I think that's another thing that, you, Brandon, you were talking about the youngsters needed to learn is I don't think – like he was pre-social media, pre-so many technological advancements, and he was still a worldwide phenomenon. Everybody in the world knew who Michael Jordan was. And that was before we had the internet. So I, I, I don't think it's – I don't think you can possibly communicate how – big of a star he was in the 90s. But the thing about whether or not the series, the, the dynasty ended too soon, and then you kind of compare that with where the Blackhawks are at now to where it's, it's not a perfect comparison. And I was trying to write, turn this into an article, and every time I – everything I got to just kind of told me it's not a great comparison because of the two different scenarios or the two different situations the teams were in at the time. And it mainly comes down to age. There was a lot of talk about how old the Bulls were at the time. And, and when you see the numbers, you know, Jordan was 35 after that last championship. 
yeah, Jordan was 35. Pippen would have turned 33 that September and is back and back and other issues were catching up to him. The supporting cast wasn't that much younger either because Randy Brown, Tony Kukoc, Luke Longley were all 29. Steve Kerr was 32. Rodman was 36. Ron Harper was 34. Like, you're going to tell me that team's going to win another title? And not to mention they would have had to go through the Pacers and, and or Knicks again. And then if they got to the final, they would have had to face the Spurs. And when it was Tim Robin, uh, Tim Robinson, Tim Duncan and David Robinson at the beginning of the height of their powers. So I'm not so sure that that team was going to win seven. Wait, Steve Kerr was only three years old, three years younger than Michael Jordan. Correct. Yeah. He, he played several years before he came to the bulls, mostly with Cleveland, I believe. It looks like that he he especially in like that first run in '96 he looks like a kid, looks like a child. Well, he was when he came to the Bulls in '93, which was the full year without Jordan. He was 28, so yeah, he played. Yeah, he he debuted in '88, so he wasn't too far behind Jordan. He just he didn't really, I guess, come of age till he came to the Bulls. Well, I shouldn't say that. Like he was, he was still pretty good, but I guess with the Bulls being as good as the Bulls were, that's when his popularity really took off. I respect Steve Kerr. He got a haircut when he was nine, and he stuck to it. <laughs> like, that thing has never changed. Well, look, it was, it was like a bull cut in the early years, and it's changed to, like, as a coach. He's not, wearing, he's not rocking the same haircut he was, rock, he was rocking as a player. I feel like out of like, – aside from, like, the Jordan and the Pippins, like, the number one guy that came out of looking the best in that whole thing was Steve Kerr. Right, because he's, he's I, probably the best interview. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's very polished and obviously spends a lot of time getting interviewed being a head coach in the NBA still. But I, don't, I haven't seen anybody say a single bad thing about Steve Kerr at all. The one player, like Shepard mentioned, that Kukoc didn't get enough, enough love in this, I thought Ron Harper didn't either. Yep. Because yep. it was just Ron like – Ron Harper's barely mentioned. He was like, okay, fuck it. Like when he was with the Cavaliers, like that was his like one – instance in the whole series and I was like homeboy was like a really good defender like in that second run it's like why wasn't that brought up but like my for me some of the biggest glaring things like the two of the biggest glaring things both involve Scottie Pippen first off that they never mentioned the bullshit Hugh Holland's foul call in 94 when the Jordanless Bulls were I mean, that team might have won to the finals. Hugh Hollins doesn't make that ghost foul call on Pippen that gave the Knicks – I don't remember the player, but he got three free throws and that won the game and they ended up winning the series. And the other thing was, I think it was in 97, but Carl Malone walks to the free throw line in the final minute, a huge situation, and Pippen walked by him and said, the mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays. And then oh, yeah. missed both free throws and the game ended which is top five best chirps I've ever heard in any sport anywhere. And the fact that that never even, <laughs> it was him too. Like that, huh? but it was him makes it even better. Yeah. Yeah. Like if it was Harper, or like Jordan, you'd be like, all right, whatever. Like that makes sense. But like it was Pippen. So it was like, adds a little, a little bit of humor to it. Yeah. I don't know. I, that, those are a couple glaring omissions, but I don't know. Like, so going back to the thing I was talking about with the Blackhawks comparison. So as we bring this back to the sport, we're supposed to be talking about allegedly, it's kind of trying to find like if there's a right, uh, a right way or a better way to end a dynasty because, you know, I guess you could have let the Bulls hang on for another year or two and try and win another title. 
I don't know if their legacy is tarnished at all if they go for that seventh title and don't get it. I mean, you still win six championships in eight years. That's pretty damn good. But then I, I was looking at the Blackhawks. So remember all the ages I gave you was predominantly guys in their early to mid-30s. If you go back to the Blackhawks at 2015, the time they won that cup, Taze was 27, Kane was 26, uh, Hosa was 36, and Sharp was 33. So I guess some of those guys were older. But you look at some of the other supporting cast members of the Blackhawks at that time, uh, Tavo was 20, Brandon Saad was 22, Shaw was 23, Marcus Kruger was 24. So I guess the number one difference between the NBA situation and the NHL situation is the salary cap. Because it's the salary cap that forced the Blackhawks to have to get rid of every single one of the guys that I listed as a member of the supporting cast. They got Brandon Saad back, but they lost all four of those guys that I mentioned. So I guess it's not as good of a comparison as I thought it was. At least you tried. Yeah, at least yeah. I tried, right? I tried to bring it back to hockey, but it didn't work. The other thing about that is that if the Blackhawks had a soft cap like the NBA does, I doubt many of those players are gone. I, 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 I believe Rocky Horse would probably be paying this, the, the luxury tax every, every year. Mm, I don't know. I, I still have my doubts about any members of the Words family, and that is entirely carryover scar tissue from the late 90s, early 2000s experiences of being a Blackhawks fan. That's probably yeah, but, unfair to Rocky Wirtz, but I'm yeah. sorry. Those, those wounds don't heal. That's like doubting Ian Mitchell was going to sign when he like said, hey, homies, I'm going to sign. And you're like, I, well, Kevin Hayes, that, that shit pooper. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't say it was logical. I'm just saying that's that's the way it is. All right. All right. So, yeah, I think that'll save it for this last dance tangent. We got another, we're going to come back to at the end here because we got into a really good discussion after we stopped recording last week. And then uh, I don't know who I think it was Brandon that said we should pause this and do it as a podcast next week. And we're going to do that. But we do have some kind of hockey news to talk about, I guess it's at least the closest to hockey news that we've had to talk about for a couple of weeks now, probably since McDonough got fired, but uh, the report came out from Elliot Friedman today. And what was this was on Elliot Friedman's From Sports. Was this in an article that he wrote, Brandon? That is just, correct. That is correct. Thank you. The report is that basically the NHL is looking at coming back with a 2014 conference-based playoff setup. And I guess they have to – there's still some negotiating going on between the NHL and the Players Association. Yada, yada, yada. We can – you know, you can cross deal with all the logistics of it later. But the point of it being that in each conference, the standings as they are right now, the top four teams would get a first round buy and then seeds five through 12 would play each other, would be paired up in a best of five series. And the rest of the playoffs would be best of seven as they normally are. And in this situation, if they decide to go forward with it, the Blackhawks would be the last seed in the Western Conference, and they would get the Edmonton Oilers in the five-game playing round. And Shepard Price, I'll come to you first. What is your reaction to that possibility? Well, uh, let's first start off with, as I was saying this, it depends on players uh, actually playing. They probably there's probably there's a possibility they could have the option not to um, for for various reasons. Um, but if everybody is playing, I like that matchup a lot. Uh, Corey Crawford has shown that he's able to beat the Oilers still. 
uh, as he's done a few times. The Blackhawks have had a, has a, have had I think a good record against the Oilers this season. Uh, McDavid and Drysaitel in the playoffs scares me, but they've only ever had what one round of victory. Uh, if Crawford is the Crawford we saw towards the end of the towards in the new year, and uh, the team is what we've seen from them, and everybody is healthy as they probably should be now. I like I'll. I think the Blackhawks stand a chance of beating the Oilers at least. I I don't know if they would have to go up then go up against whoever was the bye. If that's Vegas, that's yeah. not a good matchup for Chicago I, ever. I, I don't know if they would reseed after that, and I guess that's a much longer. It would be Dallas. Ugh. Ah, I could see them playing well against Dallas too. I, I'd, I guess ra- I'd rather Dallas than some of the other teams in the West. Basically, rather I'd, Dallas I'd, than Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I know the Hawks finally beat Vegas this year, but I still have that mentality of the Hawks being unable to beat the Knights because for the longest time they literally did not have a win in their franchise's history against the Knights. But back to the Edmonton Oilers, the Blackhawks played them three times this season. They won two of those games. The only game they lost was the most – or not the most recent one, but uh, the two games they won, Corey Crawford started, and the one they lost, Robin Leonard started. So reading in that – Say that again. That was in Edmonton during that weird road trip that they had. Yes. So in February, February 11th. Very, very well done. Yes. Is, have you just been studying hockey reference every day while we've been quarantined? No, I've been watching. <laughs> it's probably going to sound weird for some people, but I've been watching like the 2017 playoffs for the Penguins. That's what I've been doing. Okay. I don't know how that led to you remembering the Blackhawks road trip from February, but you know, whatever works for you. Oh, I was on ESPN. <laughs> okay. There you go. But yeah. So the Hawks, I mean, had, had decent success against Edmonton this year. Um, nothing. And I'm, I'm looking at the stats. Nothing really jumps out at me numbers wise. I mean, they gave up a lot of shots in every one of those games, but that's kind of the Blackhawks thing this season. Uh, Brandon, what about you? What were your thoughts on this potential matchup? See, everyone's going to complain, like, oh, like, just do the normal format, blah, blah, blah. Like, who gives a shit? Like, this is all weird anyway, so let's just have chaos and have fun. Like, I'd be fine if it was best of three and then best of five, and then you go best of seven. Yeah, I I wouldn't have objected if they just made it a 32-team playoff somehow. Like, maybe give some of the top, you know, you give the top eight in each conference a, a bye. But, yeah, like you said, Brandon – do some do some goofy shit. Like there's there's no reason. Well, I shouldn't say there's no reason, but if there was ever a time to just try something different. A worldwide pandemic seems like a good time for that. Not, it's not like fans are going to be in the building anyway. Or you do it like the the World Cup, like a a thirty two team, and you have like yeah, who's the who's the thirty second team though? Is are we forming Seattle? Oh already? yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. I'm, I'm down with I'm down with an expansion draft for Seattle. You know, already. just the early. Just give the number one overall seed a bye. The it, top AHL team. Oh, yeah. yeah or just give an AHL all-star team. Throw them in there. Who gives a shit? <laughs> I don't. Hey, uh, Milwaukee and Iowa, uh, you go together, and then we'll throw in some Belleville guys, too. Just, just give, that? like, the Midwestern <laughs> AHL alliance. So that'll throw – you can get Iowa in there. You can get Chicago and Rockford in there, Milwaukee in there. Any other teams in the Midwest? The first time we've – we, the first time we ever see a team fight itself – <laughs> eh, there had to be at some point well i guess maybe not a fight on the ice and it's definitely having to practice i mean the blues did that last season 
hey, the Blackhawks did this season with Duncan Keith and uh, Jonathan Taves. That's right. That's right. Remember, that was a much, much hullabaloo about that when it's I like- walked into the bowl right as that got separated, and I was like, damn it. I, I forgot all it. you all the things that we talked about. Like it kind of, I forget that it was quote this season, and I I feel like I've already moved on from this last season, and like it's already in the past. Even though we're talking about the potential for the Blackhawks to be playing again, I was already convinced, and I think I've said this on other podcasts. I was convinced we were done with this version of the Blackhawks. I didn't think they were coming back at any point, and I was convinced that whatever playoff system they decided, the Blackhawks wouldn't be a part of it. That being said. You put the Blackhawks in a five-game series with the Edmonton Oilers, I'm absolutely here for it, and I will watch every second of it. And I also feel like there's certain teams I wouldn't apply this to, but I could totally see the Blackhawks beating the Oilers. I could see the Blackhawks beating a lot of teams. I mean, all you need, you get Kane hot for a game or two, Kubalik hot, Taves, Saad. They've got enough guys with enough of a talent ceiling that could get hot and just steal a game or two. And they also have Corey Crawford in net. So this bipolar kind of hockey team we've we've seen out of the Blackhawks this year where sometimes they're really, really good and sometimes they're really, really bad. You give me a five-game series, you could probably find three really good games out of those Blackhawks. Now they might go to a seven-game series against a better opponent and get their asses kicked in. Oh, well. I, I'll enjoy the five-game series that they might win. Plus, we haven't we haven't seen it for a while, but I still believe that Corey Crawford's probably the best playoff goaltender in the league. Well, is there another goaltender going into the playoffs right now with multiple Stanley Cup rings? No, because Jonathan Quick is out. Yeah, that because that's the only guy I could think of because the Tuca's only got one and uh, Matt, Mur- uh, Matt Murray. Matt Murray. Like, Matt Murray is not Matt Murray anymore. Matt Murray is not that rookie year. Matt Murray. Oh, really? I, I, I can't say. Again, it's been two months since there's been hockey. I, I don't remember a lot of things. Oh, yeah. If, yeah, you, look his, at, if you look at his stats, you, he's had a clear fall off. His progression waddled away. I don't get it. Nothing? Penguins? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Not, not your best work. I, I thought it was good. Yeah. It was quarantine good. <laughs> <laughs> What does quarantine good mean? Not it's good, like a, but like it's fine for now. Yeah, it's like a six point nine out of ten. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think I think they should do it. Like, why not? Um, the The thing is that they want to formulate the playoff format to gain some like excitement, like oh, hockey's actually going to happen, and then they can worry about like the logistics of like tests and testing players and like who's going to be allowed in the arena as far as like additional staff media stuff like that i I don't think hockey's in too bad of a situation like the the sport the number one sport that i still really am confused at how they're going to make it work is the nfl because just of the sheer amount of people involved and i mean there's 53 guys on the roster each team has like 15 20 coaches and then front office personnel, like it's it seems like just I don't know how you deal with all of those people in a pandemic. The NHL's a little bit better because there's eighteen skaters and two goalies a night, three coaches behind the bench, and then three refs. So that's what, about fifty people all together. So that's not bad. And then you know, like you gotta have the staff running the building and the on ice the 
you know, the, the, the penalty box attendant and all those people. So maybe they've got 60 to 70 people. That doesn't seem as bad as what the, the logistics that the NFL has to deal with. So I don't know. It's, it'll be interesting to see. It does seem like the trend right now is in the direction of some sort of sports coming back. The more interesting thing for me is if they don't start this up until, I mean, what, July 1st? Then you're talking those – the playoffs usually go about two months. So we're going to have the playoffs, the Stanley Cup, getting handed out in September. And then and then what the hell happens for the next season? You start after Christmas? Yeah, I think, I think they're anticipating starting in December. Or, or, it sounds or, like. I don't know if they'll shorten the season. And then you also – like the, the other thing that with all these sports coming back is – and I, I try not to go too much into – the the pandemic has become so politicized, so I don't want to get too far into this because we're trying to stay out of that part of this discussion right now. But there's been a lot of talk from a lot of medical experts that there will be a second wave of this yep. in the fall. Yeah. And I don't exactly know what they what the timeline is, but I mean if they get to like, you know, you're talking about September, that seems to be pretty close to the fall. If they get to like you know the conference final, the Stanley Cup round, and we get another round of shutdowns, then what do you do? I don't know. That that's you glossed over like the biggest part where you said that to award the Stanley Cup. Like, how's that going to go? Like, is Bettman and like the captain of the team going to (laughs) be? Oh yeah. Part, and then they're like Bettman's going to have to walk away, and then they grab it. Yeah. How do they hand it off? Also, who boos Batman? Does the team itself boo Batman? <laughs> that's the that's the that's the logistics that matter. Who bet? Who boos Batman? Is They'll it the, to... the opposing team? The opposing team stays and boos Batman. They would have to pipe in the crowd noise of booing just to keep with the tradition. They did that for the NFL draft, right? Uh, well, and then the also thing is like, what if there's a, a five on three? Like two guys can't be six feet apart in a penalty box. Oh yeah, I. Well, I think that if you have them playing hockey together, they're going to have to sit next to each other on the bench. You can't have them six feet apart on the bench. So I feel like that at that point, they'll be tested negative, so it'll be okay if they skirt the social distancing rules. I, again, that's another thing. Like I remember watching – I was watching the Bundesliga, and it looked like they had the players, instead of sitting in the traditional dugout on the sidelines, they were sitting like – two to three seats apart in the first row of the stadium because and, – and they were spread out, and that's how they were keeping everybody apart, obviously because there's no fans in the building to get in the way. I don't know if you can – you can't really do that with hockey because then how are they going to change on the fly and come over the boards? Right. That's how you do the NFL, by the, by the way, though, is that you keep everybody who's not playing – who's not, like, in the starting 11 in the stands. You mean for soccer? No, for uh, the NFL. Oh, oh, well, you mean like spread them out on the sidelines? Spread them out on the sidelines, but also take if there's no fans in the stands, you can take advantage but, of that. But and like put when the they always, up there. when they always come to the bench and then they like group off by their position coaches, like they're not, they don't social distance on the sidelines naturally. Like in well, soccer, you could do like I, th- I think you could do small groups. Like you could do like four people at a time. Yeah, like because if you come out of a soccer game, if you get subbed out, you are done. In the NFL, you come to the sidelines 25 times a game when there's changes of possession, and then you go back out. 
So I don't know. That's, I'm glad I don't have to answer any of these questions because it seems like a goddamn logistical nightmare. So. Yeah. So, yeah, with all that being said, um, I, like I said, if, uh, if hockey comes back in the next month or two, I will absolutely be watching. If it comes back in the format we were just describing, I'm absolutely on board for it and could totally see the Blackhawks winning that series. I could also see them getting swept in three games and we're back where we started. So who knows, but it's, it's, I guess it's nice to have some, something to be optimistic about. Right. It's a gift either way. So yeah. So we'll, we'll end the discussion on that note that it is optimism. There is optimism in the air and that's a much welcome change from the way everything was in March when everything was more terrible. It's always nice when things are less terrible. I also enjoy when things are less terrible. I, I highly recommend that. Speaking of less terrible, we're going to go back to some of the last dance discussions that we're doing at the start of the show and do some comparisons between some of the Bulls villains. I, I know villains is the right word. Some of the big rivals they had in the 90s and some of the rivals the Blackhawks had in the 2010s. So see if we can make any comparisons and contrasting there. Come back and find out about all that on the other side of this timeout. Welcome back to Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. And after our little teaser before the break, we want to dive into a little comparison between the 90s Bulls and some of the villains from that time frame and kind of do some comparisons between those guys and the villains that emerged during the Blackhawks run earlier this the last decade. It's not the 2010s anymore. Who knew? So, Shepard Price, you made a reference or before we came in the air that you have one comparison ready to go, so I'm going to let you start this off. So if you think about who the Blackhawks beat for their titles, they're all one-and-dones. So they, they, beat, they faced Tampa, they faced Boston, they faced Philly. So okay. none of them really make a huge appearance. In, like None of them would, make, would be huge players in the last dance. But okay. you know who, like in episodes 9 and 10, which are fresh in the mind, uh, the Utah Jazz are very heavily involved. You know who the Utah Jazz are in the Blackhawks realm? Who's that? The Los Angeles Kings. Why? Why is that? Because they're the people the Blackhawks had to had to beat to win the championship. Because basically, like, very much less in like 2013 or 15, where there were actually actual contenders from the East, than in 2014. But those teams had to go through each other to actually achieve the thing. Um, and they were the and the Jazz. Beat, faced the Bulls twice, the Kings faced the Blackhawks three times. Like that was always like the series everybody wanted to see. Was like you wanted to re re go from twenty thirteen to fourteen. You wanted to see that Kings Blackhawks matchup again, and you wanted to see it again in fifteen. So that's the that's the that's the Utah Jazz is the Los Angeles Kings. Brandon, what about you? You got any thoughts on this? The difference of like the title thing kind of throws me off with that. But I understand, like, the thought process of having to face them twice. Well, they're not, like, they're not the Pistons. They're not the Pistons because the Pistons were, like, young. They were the young upstart who was, take, who was trying to take on the contender. They weren't around the entire run. Like, like the, they have to like, be somebody. I feel like the Pistons and the Red Wings are almost a decent comp because by the end of the Bulls run in the 90s, the Pistons were yeah. – 
irrelevant. And by the end of the Hawks run, the Red Wings had been banished to the Eastern Conference and banished to, and they were trending towards irrelevancy, which is where they are at now. I thought the Pistons were the team. I thought the Pistons were the team the Bulls had to go through in even '98 Eastern Conference Finals. The Pacers. Right. Yes. Okay. The Pistons. The Bad Boy yeah. Pistons. Yeah. The Pistons are uh, Detroit. Yeah. Because yeah, so. Scottie Pippen, like, picking his ass up off the floor after he got demolished is basically <laughs> Brent Seabrook's killing the Red Wings. <laughs> like, that, those moments, like, okay. th- they line up. Um, I think the uh, the Canucks and the Pacers kind of line up a little bit for me. Okay, I – I want to hear your explanation for this because I had a different team in mind. Okay. So my thought process was that they both are like key rivals that people wanted to tune in for knowing that the Pacers could give the Bulls a fight, which is what people thought of the Canucks to the Blackhawks. And then the Canucks had a run to the final the year after and that's what happened for the Pacers too and they both came up short I didn't think the Pacers got to the NBA finals ever did they get beat by the Magic or not the Magic the Lakers oh oh they did make it to the finals in 2000 okay I stand corrected oh they probably yeah they lost to the Lakers in 2000 all right so we were both like kind of right so I was leaning, there together. I was leaning more towards the Knicks because because the Blackhawks were a, constant, a consistent nemesis for the Bulls and the Knicks the Knicks in 91, 92 and 93 lost to the Bulls in the playoffs. And then in 94 when Jordan wasn't around the Knicks beat the Bulls in the playoffs. So that could be like 2011 when the Canucks finally beat the Hawks in the playoffs and then acted like they won the Stanley Cup just by winning a first-round playoff series over an eight-seeded team that was gar- – well, shouldn't say garbage, but obviously flawed. And then be- after the Knicks beat the Bulls, then they went through the Pacers and went to the finals and lost to the Houston Rockets. And I feel like that very much mirrors what the Canucks went through. I guess the only difference is that the Canucks kind of slid away. The, the Knicks stayed very good and actually got another series against the Bulls in 96 and lost in five games because that's what happens to the Knicks in the playoffs against the Bulls in the 90s. The other thing is just kind of individual players that really stand out in your memory. I There were so many – I feel like the New York Knicks were such a hateable team because I, I keep getting this comparison. Uh, John Starks and Alex Burrows just – Players with their their certain their abilities and and talents and all that, but just goddamn despised by everybody who was not a fan of that team. I'm not a '90s NBA head, so forgive me if if I'm wrong here. But John Starks is the Utah Jazz point guard, right? No, he was on the Knicks. Okay, that's the okay. He John, up Stock, the, John, Sto- John Stockton up. and John Starks, two very similar names. Yeah, <laughs> two wildly different looking, <laughs> two wildly different people. <laughs> Although. Apparently, I don't know if it was Stockton was the guy, but apparently the Utah Jazz had a penchant for 
whenever you'd set a pick on him, you get a little tat below the belt. I don't know if it was – I feel like it was Stockton and Hornacek because they had, like, these reputations as these good All-American boys, but they were actually throwing their own cheap shots. But I don't know. Uh, well, Stockton was <laughs> Stockton. Stockton was dirty, but he was also the greatest pickpocket of all time in the NBA history. No, no, that would be Michael Jordan. Hmm. The the greatest pure thief, the greatest pure stealer. That's, I think that's Stockton. I don't remember John Stockton being a good defensive player. That's all. Again, that's all he again, did. That's all he did was was steals and assists. Well, more more so the assistance. I don't remember the steals part of it. And and again, this is could entirely be an, uh, a basketball blind spot of mine because there's a reason this is a hockey podcast and not a basketball one. Um, we don't know shit. <laughs> we don't know shit. We're just we're just trying to fill airtime before hockey hopefully comes back in in whatever format it's going to come back in. Uh, but the other what thing, what do you think about, the Predators are? Let's go with that. Ooh, I forgot about I forgot about the Predators. <laughs> I, I, I actually I actually have a different take on the Pacers because I think that's the Blues. Um, so the Predators is an interesting. You question. know what? I I think because I hated Reggie Miller so much. I have a buddy who lives in Indianapolis. I've been texting him uh, for the last week leading up to this episode because we knew they were going to dive into the Bulls Pacers series. I have an irrational hatred of Reggie Miller entirely from those ninety Bulls, and it is like as much as I hated any any professional athlete as a ten, eleven year old child. I could not stand Reggie Miller. And so I don't know who from the Blues. I just kind of hate the whole team in general. So I don't know if there's a player – because I don't know if there's a player from the Blues that ignited as much sports hatred in me as Reggie Miller did when I was 10 years old. I hate saying this as a Blackhawks fan, but, like, if you think about last year's Blues with Stanley Cup winning team, none of them are that hateable except Bennington. Screw Jordan, screw Jordan Bennington. I mean, Tarasenko's always been that guy where you're like, damn, he's so good. I hate that he's on that other team. But if he was right. on my team, fuck, that'd be cool. If he was in the East, he'd be amazing. Yeah. He's the biggest Blackhawks killer on that Blues team. Alex Steen is still on the that Blues roster. Yeah, he's number – Steen is number two. Yeah, so, all right. I was I – was, your point, Shepard, was actually a good one for a while, and then I scrolled down the roster, and I'm like, oh, wait, Alex Steen's still there. Fuck that guy. Yeah, I feel like I, I don't think anyone can. Maybe Kessler matches that. Like, oh God, remember Ryan Kessler? <laughs> I feel like Ryan Kessler says that too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's the. I feel like those are the only two comparable players into the like hatred regard of uh, the Chicago sports landscape in these two time periods. Uh, but then also like we saw in the documentary and I pointed out that Patrick Ewing and Ryan Kessler are pretty much the same person in regard to MJ and uh, Taves. <laughs> that's a good, all right. That's a good comparison. I feel like maybe, maybe the Michael Jordan, Reggie Miller thing is more like Michael Jordan or Jonathan Taves and Joe Thornton, where it seems like they genuinely just do not like each other. But then off to the side, they like joke around about it. Because Tave said, like, when he went to go fight Joe Thornton in, like, that huge fight that somehow has, like, a whole bunch of views on YouTube, Thornton was like, what are you – okay, so we're going to – okay, I guess we're going to fight. Like, he just, like, <laughs> went and charged at him. And he was like, all right, whatever. And everyone was just like, why did you fight him? 
Yeah. But then afterwards, they're like all fine and whatever. And saw that in the series where MJ and uh, Miller were like behind the scenes of the press conference. And he's like, oh, I knew it was going to be a fight. Like you guys are coming for us or whatever. But how cool is that? Like Michael Jordan basically had his own like security team, it seems like. Oh, well, if you were the number most popular person in the world at the time, I'd probably have a pretty deep security team too. Yeah. This is the number one athlete and also like a huge brand in on unto himself. Cause like, yeah. cause Jumpman was taking off then. Yeah. yeah. And if you like watch the, the last dance and then you wonder like, has the United center changed at all? No, it's the exact same. Oh, I know it's, it looks like it could, <laughs> it looks like when they show the shots of just the building itself, like that could be hosting a, the black house game that's going to be played next week. The inside of that stadium is exactly the same now as it was in the nineties. And even like the, um, basement level or whatever you want to call it like down by the locker rooms in the press room mm-hmm. and the the ramp by the restaurant in the bottom <laughs> it's all the same yeah you know th- there's another thing i was trying to come up with and it's it's like the most disrespectful sports moment that happened actually during competition and for me for the bulls it is scotty pippen dunking on patrick ewing and then walking walking over him and then walking over to Spike Lee and telling him to sit his ass down. That is the best (laughs) moment of that entire era, just because of all those things that happened simultaneously. And I'm trying to think of the Blackhawks equivalent of it. The first thing that comes to mind is Brent Seabrook laying out David Backus, but I don't know if that's quite as fair because, uh, you know, he did get severely concussed. So Jordan, yeah, Jordan didn't give Ewing a concussion or Pippen. Yeah, whichever. I feel like even the, giving giving Ewing a concussion, he just severely shamed him. I'm trying to think of a Blackhawks equivalent of the Pippen dunk over Ewing. I can't think of one, but one playoff memory I do remember is <laughs> it was a the 2015 Western Conference Final. The Blackhawks scored a goal in overtime, and Nicholas Jalmerson just threw his stick like a trident. Oh, he did that several times. That was <laughs> that was his thing. Scene. He would. Out of front, like in the when they, I think it was when they swept the Wild in the last minute. The Hawks were they. It was a one goal game. They scored to go up by two, and then they gave up a goal, and then they took a penalty, and they were shorthanded. So the last minute was just like, and the Hawks were up three zero in the series. So it shouldn't have been that stressful, but it's playoff hockey, so it is that stressful. And after the game was over, Jalmerson's in the corner and just javelins his stick into the boards. And he did that after he scored a goal too. I think against Nashville. But I that's, have. I have. Speaking of Nashville, that's that's the Ewing moment. Is Duncan Keith doing the lasso in Nashville after he scored his goal? See, I was thinking of, and this goes. It, it wasn't even year that they won the cup, but in the 2011 playoffs, my guy Dave Boland, in his first game back in that series, behind the net, he just destroys Dan Hamhuis into the boards. And then I think the – I don't know if he made the – if Bowen made the pass or the puck just kicked out, but the puck kicks out to Brian Bickle who scores, and that started uh, the Blackhawks rallying from being down 3-0 to force a game seven and ultimately lost. But that Dave Boland hit on Dan Hamhuis is way up there for me in most disrespectful things that a Blackhawks player did to an opponent during a game in the, in the last decade. I'm trying to think of some other ones, but it's – I don't know. We'll have to come back to that. If anybody, if anybody thinks of any good, uh, 
good disrespectful moments that any of the Blackhawks pulled off during during game. Because I mean, I mean, Patrick Sharp's goal in the Stanley Cup final against the Lightning was pretty funny. Yeah, but that um, was their own doing. <laughs> uh, Patrick Kane telling Pat Maroon that he should go get his roller, uh, go get ready for them roller hockey tournaments in the summer. That was pretty good. Um, I don't know. Guess we'll have to come back to that later. I just um, want like a, a golf bag chirp or something like that. <laughs> well, I don't, the go- I feel like the golf thing gets kind of overplayed in hockey. Like, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like we can do better. I'm sure all the NHL players that are listening to this will take my advice and go out and look for other chirps outside of telling people they're going to the golf course. To be fair, I'm sure golf factors into NBA chirps a lot too, considering like Jordan never stopped talking about golf throughout the series. <laughs> all, all he did was golf and smoke cigars. He was either playing basketball or smoking cigars and golfing. That was like, especially like that. Uh, and the gambling. Dream team, the dream team documentary. I don't remember. I feel like there was more shots of Jordan playing golf than Jordan playing basketball in that documentary. I mean, he's got a good swing. I, you know what? If he'd put his mind to it, he probably could have like ended up on the PGA tour. If he'd started playing golf when he was like 16, he was just, he was that crazy of uh, that competitive of a person. And I say crazy, like in a, just in the sense of he had a competitive streak that no one else did. And I guess that makes him closest if we're going to make another comparison between the Bulls and the Blackhawks, I guess that would put him in, in line with Jonathan Taves and when he was in Captain Serious mode. Taves seems to have lightened up on that a little bit by all media accounts and such. He's not quite the uh, supreme competitor that he was when he was younger. But uh, I think at one time the, the Taves and Jordan competitive streaks were probably the closest in comparison uh, between the, the two athletes on the two teams. I mean – if you gave Jonathan Taves the skill set of Connor McDavid, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to make a comparison between performance or, or skill levels, but in just in terms of mentality, they they were similarly similarly obsessed with doing whatever it took to win. And on that note, I think we can about wrap up this episode. This is episode eighteen. I can't believe we've got eighteen of these together already. And we've done like six of them without any hockey to talk about. So, so not bad. Uh, but hopefully that changes soon. I think, uh, I think I speak for both of you guys when I say that we have our fingers crossed and we hope that in some manner that is safe for players and officials and everyone involved that they are able to come back and have hockey in some sort of safe environment to where we can enjoy the sport without any uh, significant repercussions for having all those people gathered together again. Um, so with that thought, Brandon Shepard, uh, any other final things to add to this here edition of Musings on Madison? Watch 30 for 30s if you get, if you miss Last Dance next week. Uh, yeah, uh, just watch all of them. They're all very good. I'm sure the Lance Armstrong one's going to be good. The one... Check that into my veins. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> the one coming up on Sosa McGuire should be interesting. Uh, I, I, that's another mid, mid late nineties thing that I do remember from childhood. Although being a White Sox fan, I didn't really feel like I, I wasn't as in tune to it as other people were. Although I do remember Ken Griffey Jr. Being involved in that earlier. And I was a huge Griffey fan as a kid, as I think every nineties child was. So 
Brandon, what about you? Any any final words here? Uh, just if you have any like story ideas or <laughs> podcast ideas, let us know because we ain't got shit. Yeah, I feel free to tweet Brandon or Shepard or me or the Second City Hockey account because um, we mind about every ounce of conversation that we could out of that Last Dance documentary. And now that it's over, oh, what the hell we're going to talk about next week. Um, I don't know which Blackhawk member would have been the best teammate of Lance Armstrong's on the Tour de France. Who's got fucking massive legs? <laughs> Probably all of them because all they do is skate for a living. So This would have been easier like two years ago because it would have just been Marcus Kruger. Why is that? Because him and Yalmerson would go around town riding bikes together. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know that they did that. Were they on, like, divvy bikes, or did they have their own, like, cruisers from Sweden? No, they had their own cruisers. There was, like, a photo shoot of it, too. They oh, were, like, really? in black and white. Yeah. I'll I dig know. it up for you sometime. Oh, okay, yeah. I look forward to that. And then we can have our lovely uh, cycling debate next week. I don't have it, like, saved anywhere, just so people know. <laughs> that sounds awfully suspicious, Brandon. Are, are you, it sounds a little guilty there. Are you, are you oh. playing – I don't know. Maybe, maybe you enjoy uh, – Black and white photography of cyclists or amateur cyclists. I don't know. Whatever you're into. I don't know. Maybe Satchel has it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Wait, yeah, throw him under the bus with you. That's very nice of you. Um, <laughs> Always. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that'll do it for this episode of Musings on Madison. Thank you very much for listening to our inane ramblings for however long we did. Hopefully we didn't go as long as last week. Um, I don't know. I don't have a clock here. So, uh, but yeah. Thanks again for listening. Um, stay tuned to secondcityhockey.com. If there are any more updates on whatever the hell the NHL is going to do about coming back to actual games again, we will update on that. Um, we, we've been writing some random stuff here and there. Uh, hopefully it gives you some entertainment or some levity throughout your day because uh, it's about does about the same thing for us as it gives us something else to think about. Uh, so we hope everyone's staying safe. Uh, keep up the social distancing stuff. Keep washing your hands. Hopefully things continue to trend in the positive direction they've been going for a while and we're able to, you know, get back outside and get back to some semblance of normal life. And um, yeah, like, like us, rate us, subscribe, do all those great things. And uh, hopefully we're again able to talk about some real Blackhawks hockey here in the next weeks and months. But until then, I'm your host, Dave Melton. We'll talk to you next week.